Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film Squawk. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Directed by Marielle Heller, 2019. Assigned to write a profile piece about television icon Fred Rogers, skeptical journalist Lloyd Vogel is transformed by the unlikely friendship they forge. Well, it's December, Stacy Cassidy. Ho, mommy. Ho, 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 mommy. <laughs> this podcast officially marks our two years. That is insane. What? I was thinking about that today, that we're going into year three. And I like kind of didn't believe my own brain for a second. I was like, no, wow. we can't be going into the third year. I was telling someone yesterday because I was going to go see the film and had a moment of like, no. Man, I guess, though, I do feel like it's just become a part of my routine. Right. You know, so it's very normalized for me, which means we've been doing it for a while, yeah. I guess. It's a habit. 24 episodes. That oh, is so great. Pat yourself on the back, everyone. Yay, us. Solid. And, you know, thinking back to where we started with Sorkin's Molly's Game. That was our first one. That was our one. first. I actually almost rewatched that. <laughs> a story about a woman told by a man. And I think that that had a lot to do with our decision to round out the second to last 2019 film review episode with a story about men told through a woman's, Marielle Heller's, directorial lens. And if we want to continue to contribute to the conversation about lenses, uh, that we have to make sure that we are we're looking at both sides and this is a, a great opportunity for us this this month yeah mm-hmm. let's hit our yays and nays what's a yay a reason to view to go out and and watch marielle's latest greatest i have my yay i usually don't i usually come up with it as stacy <laughs> But my yay for this film is that it's a story about Mr. Rogers, but told through someone else's perspective. So you were actually able to realize the impact on people's lives that Mr. Rogers had. My yay has to be Tom Hanks, watching Tom Hanks portray Mr. Rogers, because he's been a part of our life. Uh, by our life, I mean people born in the 80s. Um, he's been a formative part of that, just like Mr. Rogers has been a formative part of like my internal landscape. So it just felt like the most natural thing in the world to watch him depict the coolest guy in the world. Oh, man. And like the first line out of his mouth, I was like misty-eyed. Same. He did such a great job. So yay, Tom. And I think for me, my, my yay is just was illuminated watching last year's Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary. I just like how I feel when I am confronted with the life of Fred Rogers and with his philosophies and discipline and entire purpose for love. I just, I really like how it makes me feel. It's such a silly yay, but that's that's just my yay. Feels good. Mm-hmm. I mean... Gentle listeners, we were at a different film, and it must have been in 2017, and I cannot remember the film, and the trailer came on for Won't You Be My Neighbor, and Rochelle, I like looked over at Rochelle, and she was like sobbing. (laughs) 
just from the trailer. And I felt like you were like, I don't know how to like do this to describe it to an audience. But you were like watching it like this. I leaned forward and I gripped my throat. With my, <laughs> she was like caressing her throat. <laughs> hand and like pulled down my neck. So her chin skin's like really tight. <laughs> As she's like sobbing and it was on for Huge like not alligator tears yeah. like Rochelle's tears might be bigger than alligator tears you could like feel the palpable emotion from like four seats away just looking at Rochelle it was awesome so that is just an instance to speak to the feelings that Fred Rogers gives Rochelle like just pure deep joy, joy. Yeah. Sends me, this just sends me somewhere really specific that I think I miss out on and lack in our society all right nice Potential reasons viewers may not gallop out to the theaters to watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I think that I wasn't as invested in the main character as I was in Mr. Rogers. I got so much out of the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, which was really great seeing before seeing this film. It was nice having all of that information. But... Every time that Tom Hanks was on the screen, I was just like, you know, feeling so happy and joyful. And I didn't care as much for his journey for some reason. Or I wasn't as moved by his transformation as I was just watching Mr. Rogers, watching someone play Mr. Rogers. Lloyd Vogel wasn't the draw. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't as much the draw for me. I think my nay, which is kind of a weird one, is that it was released so close to Won't You Be My Neighbor? Because I, like, didn't care to go see it. And I knew Tom Hanks had had, like, great reviews and he had been nominated for Golden Globe. You know, like, I knew these things going in. But I wasn't very enthusiastic about going to see it at all. Like, I just didn't care. You were sat- I was, it was like, already I've saturated. Got I've got Mr. Rogers, though I do agree. Again, like, I liked, though I can see what you're saying about Lloyd Vogel's character, but I did like the impact, like showing, I liked the vantage point of showing how Mr. Rogers wasn't just this like TV personality. He was like out in the world, interacting with people, validating people, treating them with respect. It wasn't just like some reporter that then, you know, passed through his life. Like he actually invests mm-hmm. truly in individuals. So I did get something out of it for that. But going into it, I would say that was like my knee jerk nay. It's just like, I've, I got it with Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that contributes to my nay, which I'm hoping we get to spend some time unpacking uh, because though I don't necessarily feel saturated by Fred Rogers or learning about Mr. Rogers' life, uh, his wife, his children, his genius at storytelling and engaging children as they are, where they are, all of that is something I don't know if I'll ever get tired of. I do think that getting to see Fred Rogers from a documentarian standpoint last year really brought to the surface the nuance that is him, was him as a person. And he radiates a very specific energy. And I did not connect at all with Tom Hanks in this role as as Fred Rogers because I didn't feel that same energy. I felt an echoic energy but I couldn't put my finger on the difference, though I thought his performance was great and I liked that he didn't mimic, that he took an aspect of Mr. Rogers and played into that aspect and gave it more uh, 
Like an interpretation? Yeah, an interpretation. He was more playful with it um, without being um, almost rude, you know, in some depictions where people are just, it's mimicry. It wasn't that at all. And I really appreciated that. I think he was great in what he did, but I didn't feel the same energy uh, at all from, from Hanks's performance. And so for me, that wasn't, that would be my nay just because it, if the story, if the draw is Mr. Rogers and it's not uh, Mr. Vogel, then I, this was more of just like a reminder of, of the goodness that existed once, once and wasn't so much a interpretation that, uh, led itself to the actual Mr. Rogers for me. I mean, I can get behind that, Rochelle. Like, I think Tom Hanks did a wonderful job. I think he was very Tom Hanks with a Mr. Rogers, like, uh, inflection. Or he captured his voice for me well. Um, yeah, again, I think I did just like the story of of how Mr. of Fred Rogers, the actual person, Mm-hmm. how he would go out and genuinely connect with people and that fame never, or at least in this story, didn't seem to go to his head at all. He was just very humble and and ready to respect and take space with anyone who crossed his path, essentially. You know, even in the little bits that it showed him in the studio with the uh, Make-A-Wish kids, like he took his time with people mm-hmm. that were in his space. Uh, and I think that for me was what I would, I won't say it, it's my takeaway, but you know, like how he made people feel and how he actually interacted mm-hmm. with people. That was cool, which I don't think you see as much in the documentary no. or you don't understand that impact. I don't think as much of like how much of his personal time he spent validating other, or not even validating, just being respectful listener and, and em- embracing people. Yeah. Just living his beliefs like at every single moment we all can agree that the way he behaves is something to aspire to, but it's hard to live that way in every moment because life is hard and we're human beings. But Mr. Rogers tries to embody that goodness in every single interaction with every single person, no matter who they are. And so that that's what is really special about it. And, and maybe that's why... It's hard to, there's some, there's some saying there's no substitution for the real thing. You know what I mean? It kind of maybe doesn't matter who played Mr. Rogers because Mr. Rogers is so incredible and there's no way to really replace that or even in play try to capture his essence except for maybe like a different perspective, which is what this film, and maybe that's why the film chose this direction because the documentary had come out, you know. How many films can we have about Mr. Rogers? A million, please. But, And I think that that's something that the original author that Vogel's characters, based off of uh, Tom Junod, I believe is how you say his name, really points out in, in the article that he originally wrote for Esquire, Can You Say Hero, is the discipline that he got to see firsthand uh, that Mr. Rogers painstakingly implemented into every aspect of his life. This kindness practice uh, that he exercised like a muscle um, all day long. We get a little bit of that in this film, the connection between Vogel and Joanne Rogers, her 
reinforcing the fact that it's almost offensive to call Fred a saint because then it dehumanizes him. Yeah, and it takes away the effort and the the intention and the practice and the difficulty of living a life so focused on kindness and others and meeting people where they're at, forgetting that that can be so hard. And so I think that that is the feeling that I missed with Hanks's performance because I felt very comfortable watching Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers the moments didn't feel awkward. The silences didn't feel f- as full. They felt open, but not as full. And I have always felt slightly uncomfortable with the silences that Mr. Rogers created around him because his silences were an introvert silences. And it wasn't something I put together. It was something that I ended up reading. Uh, A.O. Scott wrote for the New York Times about an extrovert portraying an introvert's mm capacity and an introvert's connection. And I don't know if Tom Hanks is an actual extrovert, but he is definitely a a very skilled actor. Uh, And so whatever comfort I felt from Hanks's performance really um, removed the the reality of how I feel with Fred Rogers on the screen in front of me. Mm. Uh, I always I always feel a little bit uncomfortable because there's so much not being said and it's a little bit it's a little bit of an awkward pause it's just how i've always felt and i didn't get any of that from from hanks's performance so mm-hmm. i got a little of it i mean i think he did do a good portrayal but yeah again i think you can't like fill those shoes it's right. just like the bottom line it's, and and yeah. i couldn't think of a better actor to be cast as no, fred rogers no. like i couldn't think of anyone better in the whole world yeah um except for fred rogers <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, like, that would have been really uncomfortable to see him actually oh, in, like, God. a narrative. That would have sucked. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about awkward. It oh. almost, like, even though um, Joanna's character was not wanting him to be likened to a saint, he kind of is. It's almost, it kind of is, it's hard not to put him in that realm, you know, even when we talk about, well, who could have played him? Like, it seems like a rhetorical question. Like, the answer is no one could have played him because he is Mr. Rogers, which means he's untouchable. Well, let's all take a note from Mr. Rogers' book and, like, work our our muscles out in the same way he did, like our love muscles. And What a great time to have such a sensitive man depicted on screen, too, in both ways. Like, this is, like, veering off a little, but I feel it's so important for men who bottle things like Vogel's character to watch this film and come to terms with forgiveness. And I mean, really forgiveness. Obviously, that's the message of this film. We open and close with that. And just exploring um, emotional intelligence. When we raise the bar of emotional intelligence, looking at Mr. Rogers and saying that that's a superpower, then what we are we are essentially communicating is that highly emotionally intellectual individuals, people who are honing this skill and applying it to their everyday life, that's untouchable. That's unrealistic. It's it's not. It shouldn't be unrealistic. Mm-hmm. It should be what we're striving for. Not because it's unattainable, but because it's there. It's it's a it, you can practice it. It mm-hmm. is practicable. You right. can apply this to your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that message is just crucial now. 
especially for men, you know, I think we're just breaking out of the more stoic man, you know, boys don't cry sort of ideal. And I think it's important for men to see other men breaking down those walls on screen. And for me, that's where Vogel, like, you know, I, I can agree where I didn't like connect with him quite as deeply, but I connected to his story. And I think that's such a common story totally amongst families everywhere. Um, so I did appreciate Fred Rogers lens through journeying towards forgiveness. I guess Fred Rogers was a believer that we never really grow up, that we never stop having hurts. We just stop talking about them. We stop using our words to express those hurts. And so then it morphs into something else. Perfectly vogal. Like Mm -hmm. that's exactly Mm -hmm. what had happened to him. I wish I would have read the Esquire article. Did you read it, Rochelle? Mm-mm. No. None of us have read the actual article. I wanted to, and then I fell asleep. I read big excerpts from it in part of a as a part of a different article, um, and I felt like I got enough of it. I, I guess Tom Janode is working on another piece right now, I think like a 10,000-word 10, piece, reflecting on whether Mr. Rogers would be proud of the work that that Tom has done since, since interacting, since transitioning from being that cynical, that cynical writer to someone who was shown kindness and had an opportunity for redemption. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, I would say, yeah, he'd absolutely be proud. Cause like, even if the writer had just run it into the ground, Fred Rogers would look him in the eye and be like, I'm proud of you. You are who you are right now because of the things you've done to get here. Like, I mean, I think Fred Rogers just does have some unwavering love for people. Do we have any modern day Fred Rogers that you two can think of right now? I always think of Ashton Kutcher, (laughs) (laughs) but he does run like some really good, like anti-sex trafficking organizations and stuff like people from other countries contact him because the government won't do anything. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) But I mean, yeah, I I think I was getting at how politically active Fred Rogers was, Mm -hmm. and that was a part of his mission was to make the world a better place. Like, really, that wasn't just a thing that he said. Like, he put it into practice. So, I was just trying to think of modern day Freds, male or female, that we have today. Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, I think they're everywhere. Or like the unbelievable series that just came out on Netflix, which is about like sexual assault in women, really hard thing to watch, but so important. Or the thing about the Central Park Five that just came out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. What was that called, Rochelle? When They See Us. When They See Us. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we've moved past the era of Fred Rogers where it's not always being packaged in this squeaky clean easy to digest way you know people are now really digging in and showing like the ins and outs of these stories and how how hard it is to hold you know Mm -hmm. so I think Fred Rogers did have impact as far as using television as an educational tool Uh, yeah I wonder what filmmakers or films and series he would be really behind probably things like Our Planet and I don't know (laughs) And you've been very into the Me Too movement. Yeah. I feel like he and Bernie Sanders would like Be have a lunch and enjoy it. I do. I wonder what his opinion will be on these miniseries like Unbelievable or When They See Us that are like very uh, specific content, short content 
released all at once. I mean, Fred Rogers, they produced 895 Mr. Rogers Neighborhood episodes, wow. which is, it blows my mind. So different than, you know, our four to 10 episode miniseries that are getting at a very specific uh, issue or topic or inaccurately portrayed historical tragedy and writing the wrong. Uh, maybe it's going even deeper. Maybe it's... It would, it would be interesting to hear his thoughts too because he was so against violence and mm -hmm. it's so a part of those stories is the violence and it's part of the, the understanding of those stories. I would be fascinated to know what Fred Rogers feels about these like deep hard mm -hmm. to swallow stories i would also be fascinated to ask him about the anger mm -hmm. that we have right now righteous and otherwise permeating our culture and how it has become such a fuel for so many people i would love to know what he has to say about anger because fred rogers is uh everything i've seen he was very big on unpacking anger mm -hmm. and calling it a an emotion that we need to talk about and we need to let go. So I would be, I would be fascinated mm -hmm. to hear his opinion on anger and where, how we're utilizing it now as a tool. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, I, he was big on, his whole thing was about listening. You know, all of his silences were about listening to children to give them a chance to speak. So I think he would have been so a part of this conversation mm -hmm. and wanting to, to talk about white privilege and using his platform for, marginalized voices, I think it would have been amazing. Even between political parties, I think Fred Rogers could potentially bridge a gap conversationally there. Right. Like, and that's why that's why I'm like, who? Like who can do that now? Like who has that power? I mean Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> Ellen's she a did pretty say good with George answer. Bush recently. <laughs> it's true. I know. And she got some storm. black for it. A lot. Yeah. I read an article that was like rich people are like less uh, empathetic after that came out I think like Vice did it hmm. it was like a statistical study about the more money you have because you don't have to like care as much but mm. but again there's like anger there you know it's all just so I feel like the world is just so vastly different now too in the way that like wealth has expanded especially in entertainment so, I mean, and that's wrong though because like the movie star the big blockbuster movie stars were huge in the 90s so I don't know. Fred don't Rogers, know. where are you at? <laughs> well, and he always he utilized like big imagination portrayed in PBS land with smaller funding and very specific sets getting to the level of the child from a like an like, from like a place of play. Yes. Yeah. Which is an element that fascinated me uh, in beautiful day that Heller utilized so many miniature sets for transitions and for establishing shots. We were definitely, we were definitely in the neighborhood of make-believe. I appreciated that a lot. And I mean, that's what makes me feel so cozy when I think about the Mr. Rogers show mm -hmm. is, you know, because it does tap right into that part of your brain that used imagination to make your knees into mountains and your sheets. And, you know, mm -hmm. like goes right into that. And I, I wish I was more well versed, too, in children's shows. None of us have kids mm -hmm. on this podcast. So I, I would be curious, gentle listeners, what's your friend's name that listens? Madeline. Madeline. Do you have kids? Hey, girl. Madeline does not have kids. Shoot. Oh, dang it. Well, I would be interested to hear, you know, other parents speak to 
what cartoons now for children are more progressive and and Mm -hmm. tackling harder issues uh because stacy is an aunt so it looks like her eyes just lit up stacy it's actually not because i'm an aunt but i still sometimes watch kids shows i know you're gonna say but steven Steven universe Universe. (laughs) that one is changing i mean that one is tackling um sexuality gender identity it's tackling huge huge topics it's our today's mr rogers neighborhood but then we have why like wildly popular shows like Paw Patrol where the girl <sighs> puppy is pink and I know freaking <laughs> Paw Patrol I'm so over Paw Patrol zero Get over idea it. what Paw Patrol is I just know because they say my nephew say Paw Patrol but at first I didn't understand what they were saying Whatever. I did used That's to watch end. like the Spot cartoons with the weird narrator that was like Hello, I love Spot, Spot. <laughs> and Clifford Spot Hello, and Clifford Spot. those were from our day I know those are old Very but old. you know they tried to bottle up pieces of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and shows like Blue's Clues and and none of them ever, ever tapped into what what Fred was getting at. Well, because they cast someone, you know, like Fred Rogers, this was like his life mission, you know, like other shows don't have people from the beginning, from the ground up, like an invested person that will then be the host that wants children to feel loved, you know? I mean, I think now just especially in like big business industry of film and television, all of that heart. And I mean, maybe not all of it, but so much of it, I believe is lost because you don't have it from the ground up. And that's so like in large scale productions, you don't even have access to like having an opinion on production or in the writing, you know, like, yeah. Scripted television. Yeah. It's a totally different beast. And I loved the, the scene in Beautiful Day where Mr. Rogers, they're filming the show and he's struggling with the tent and he just struggles and struggles and struggles and struggles and struggles. And I don't know what the scene was supposed to be, but ultimately they cut and he says that's what he wants it to be because sometimes adults struggle too. And I thought that the lesson was going to be that you need another person sometimes to help you put up a tent or to accomplish a goal. Which he said at least while he was struggling. And But it didn't sound like that was the intention of the shot, but that's what it became. And so the organic, authentic nature of, of the program was Mr. Rogers just being himself and letting lessons emerge from real life. We just don't have that. I guess they tried to do that with like reality television shows. <laughs> uh, but I don't think the Kardashians are achieving what Fred Rogers set out to to accomplish in his his programming totally though i do learn a lot from reality tv i get a lot of takeaways but i'm like a freak that way (laughs) (laughs) i that there's there's something to be said about about seeing uh famous people or a certain segment of people being portrayed in a certain way it's reminds me of the quote from that television show bones she was watching a television show she thought was a documentary and she was binge watching it and she was crazy about it and she was describing it she's like they call themselves guidos and they do this thing called gtl gym tan laundry and of course she's watching the jersey shore and she thinks it's a documentary like a deep dive documentary anyway it was a really great quote from i mean reality (laughs) tv depending on what it is especially older reality tv like it's so highly produced now right but to go back and revisit like a 2002 Real to world. 2004 <laughs> or like, uh, oh gosh, The Simple Life with Paris Hilton and oh Nicole Richie. They gosh. had like zero script. So you can definitely tell the difference. But I do think 
This is such a tangent. I do think <laughs> there are things to learn from reality television. Totally. I think it just depends on how active you are. And, like and we've what, talked about that when you're viewing. Like, and how right, you're watching it. Your too. lens. Like, I'm not just trying to shut. Or maybe I am. But like as someone in film, I don't think I can turn that part of myself mm-hmm. off ever. So I'm always like looking at it from uh, an analytical lens. I mean, it's a pop culture documentary. It's fascinating. Well, and this entire film was based on a pop culture revelation with Tom Genode's article. And though we had Won't You Be My Neighbor last year that tackled a different side of of Fred Rogers, obviously Marielle Heller saw merit in stoking this fire again to bring to light a conversation about a real person changed by another real person. I'm curious how we think her her viewpoint. She recently, not recently, but in 2000, her her most recent films, her two films, uh, are "Can You Ever Forgive Me" from 2018 and "Diary of a Teenage Girl" in 2015. So she's constantly taking like these tortured characters and looking at small moments in their lives that lead to some sort of awakening or breakthrough or lifting out of the mire. Do we think that that lens was essential for this story, bringing Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood to the screen? I think it's a very important lens because the stigma around men and being vulnerable or experiencing any sort of emotion is a huge issue and we're nowhere near really grappling it, I think based on the content that comes out. So I think this was really important to see that it was men dealing with this issue. It wasn't like women intervened to try to help the men soften up. You know, it was about Rogers. It was about Vogel's dad. You know, it was very much about looking at the men in his community. Well, not that he was actively looking at men in his community, but that was the focus. Um, So I think it... It was a very necessary lens, and it wasn't my target audience for sure. You know, I didn't really connect with it, but it's for sure my husband's target. Like that, that movie was for him. Yeah, for sure. I felt similarly. Like just men confronting their feelings, confronting hard relationships, and like allowing themselves to feel that fully. I think. I hope. This is just the beginning of that movement. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing more and more stories like this, and I just think it's so great. I love it. This is a, I mean, and even if men were to direct these stories and tell these stories, I just want more of them, more men being vulnerable. Like, almost to me, that's a more fascinating conversation than, or a part of the conversation of feminism, but like that to me is more interesting. Like, I just feel like we as women have had so much oppression in more obvious ways, maybe. So we've been talking about it for so long. So we're, as a gender, just more comfortable about speaking to our hardships where men are, like, just getting to the top of that hill where they can start talking about it. And so I just want more of that Mm because, yeah, even, like, the good boys learning perspectives about how little boys feel about, like, kissing or, you know, just, like, stuff or big mouth, I guess, is another good example about puberty and, like, what Mm -hmm. it's like to be a little boy that gets a boner and... You know, I feel like growing up in the 90s, we grew up with really, like, vapid examples in mainstream media, like, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the battle of the sexes sort of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I love stories like this, Mm -hmm. and I want more and more and more. Yeah, we've gendered mutual human experiences. So we're just trying to undo all of that. 
because that's not real. I feel validated when important men speak out about how awesome women are. Obama recently was talking about how Obama. women are so much better than men. It was essentially what he was saying. And I and I know, I believe I know where he's coming from when he says that. Uh, he talks about how if more women were involved in government, if more women were involved in education, if more women were educated, then our children would be educated more and better. And he had a list of, of ways women could be more involved and should be more involved and how it would only improve the world. And I believe in that. I genuinely do. And I also believe that a big part of that is because women have not perpetuated a toxic pride amongst themselves in the same way that men in society have and have had to. So men are experiencing a different struggle and women are experiencing a different struggle. So do I think that women will be the change? Yes. Do I think that women could fall into the exact same traps that men have fallen into for the last few hundred years? Yes. Oh, totally. We don't want oh, yeah. a swap. No, we don't want a matriarchy, a toxic matriarchy. We need feminism. We need both. We just need the balance. And yeah. I mean, I think, or I hope, I hope that's where we're moving, but it feels like it. I mean, it really, at least as far as like the battle of the sexes goes, it does feel like in more modern culture within the last really only like few years, we're starting to actually explore that. Men and women alike are both exploring deeper emotions within men. Because, I mean, I feel like we have to do that right now to to balance the scales. So we're not so hysterical over here on this other side, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, and continuing to speak up, continuing to verbalize injustice, verbalize inequality, Golden Globes. Are you kidding? Like, figure out. Are you wait. fucking <laughs> kidding, Golden Globes? Are you fucking kidding? We're over that. We're over this shit. 19 films this year led by women, fantastic film, fantastic film, many of which could easily be nominated. We, we, we have more options now. We need to figure this shit out. But I'm thankful because like the director of Honey Boy was saying, they're not our people. They're not our audience. They're not seeing us. Our audience is there. Our people are there. We will get our recognition. Did Shia LaBeouf direct? He anyway? wrote that. Oh, okay. I was like, is Shia LaBeouf? I love you, Shia LaBeouf. We have so much more work to do. And I really, I think my takeaway is that we have so many colloquial, what would blank do? And I just don't think it's that far removed to appreciate the diligence and the discipline to kindness that Fred Rogers offered this world. And to think, what would he say about no women being nominated uh, for Best Director at the Golden Globes? What would he say about our rampaging anger about injustice? What would he say about stories being told where men get to explore their emotions and get to care for one another and get to sit in quietness and ask deep personal questions without reservation? What would he say about these things? And how can we continue to explore them through our own art and our own lenses, bringing our own strengths to that, to that question, to that exploration? I think my takeaway, it's all just about Mr. Rogers. I keep not staying in the movie 
You know what I mean? It's so hard when it's about Mr. Rogers um, because he is such an inspiration and, and someone that we should strive to be. He was kind of a Jesus a little bit. Um, so I'm just like stuck on the message of practice, like constantly practicing who you want to be every single day, at every single moment is just a beautiful takeaway that doesn't really have anything to do with <laughs> the movie other than it's about Mr. Rogers. And that's what is constantly on my mind after I've viewed something. Well, that was on my mind after the documentary and now again after this. Yeah, I feel like my takeaway, my new takeaway, because oops, I can't remember my takeaway that I claimed at the <laughs> beginning. I have many. Um, is also like doing the self-work. Like Justin and I, my husband and I drove away from the theater like blessing people out loud or you know like hoping for the best for people aloud because Mr. Rogers would like pray and say the names aloud um so yeah I think I'm not saying go and like pray for people unless you want to do that but yeah I think it is just about it's it's hard work and and though Fred Rogers was depicted as a saint he wasn't and he talked to his own anger and his own struggles and his own struggles as a parent and he wasn't a saint he wasn't a Jesus he was a man and we can all strive to be good men and women just like that, just normal human beings that put a little bit of effort in every day. Sometimes you just got to bang on the piano. Oh, did anyone else know it was going to end like that? Like I knew it. Oh, when I he sat know. at the piano, I nice. knew it. I was like, here it comes. Oh, when he sat down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved that moment. Tom Genode said that meeting Mr. Rogers taught him that writing about goodness is just as evocative as writing about badness. So I hope that we can find a little bit more good to write about. <gasps> Me too. And that's on us to seek it. It is. You know, we can't be passive and just wait for the good things to happen. Wait for the assignment. Right. Yeah. Go make the assignment. Did either of you have a, a favorite childhood toy? Mine was like a grubby blanket. Like it was just my baby blanket. But when he talked about like when he was sick in bed, Mr. Rogers spent a lot of time in bed with like scarlet fever and just childhood illness. And when he would make like mountains out of the blankets and stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is from Won't You Be My Neighbor. It was. Um, but I definitely like did that a lot. I'm an only child. I had no brothers and sisters. So grubby blanket that I still have. It's gray. It should be white. <laughs> I was a blanket child too. Were you? Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't have like a thing that I carried around. My brother did. My brother had his teddy bear, and my other brother had Copper from Fox and the Hound. Oh, oh such so a sad, sad the movie. saddest Disney oh. movie of all time. <laughs> Wonder what that means about him and Bambi. <laughs> like I think they rival one another. First place. Yes. What about Dumbo? Oh my god! Oh, sorry. Okay. Three way ties. <laughs> I tried to watch Dumbo the other day. Nope. <laughs> it's actually so beautiful. I, I mean, tried beautiful. watching Dumbo after Stacy told me she tried watching Dumbo and yeah, it hurts. It hurts. It's just all the trauma and then you get to the good part and over. And then it's over. And there's no resolve. It's just like, and now he's with his mom on mommy, the back mommy, of the train. Mommy, the mommy. Yeah. Disney doesn't Whoa. like moms very much. Our next podcast, Disney kills all the moms. <laughs> actually, seriously, like each episode, movie by movie, treatment of mom. Huh. It would take us like 10 minutes because we'd be like, dead, 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 dead dies, dead. dies, dies, dead. Maybe it's lazy storytelling. <gasps> Lion King. They killed oh. the dad. Oh, yeah. I mean, Anomaly. you have to look at it 
before the 80s. Before that's, 90. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's a good point. Anywho. Um, Anywho's <laughs> favorite toy. So I had quite a few favorite toys, Rochelle. To choose one. How many of them were horse themed? Yeah, exactly. And like your briar um, horses. One was, or yeah, briar horse. So I, I'll just tell you my three okay. briar, my briar horses, my dollhouse, mm. and my American dolls. How many of those American dolls did you have? We don't need to talk about it. I don't see how that's relevant. How much American doll stuff did you have? I don't really see how that applies. She had so much. She had so much. She got the whole catalog. My God, we're women in our thirties and we're still mad about it. Never gonna forget it. I had one American girl doll and I loved her so much. Me too, Kristen. Mm -hmm. There was just like a meme that came out about like every white chick that like it was something of like a certain. I had Samantha. Oh, you had Samantha. I had Kristen. So I felt. I felt like right into what the meme was, which uh, I don't know and can't recall. So good story. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I carry a lot of shame about my privilege, I, guys. <laughs> I think I helped contribute to that. And I'm going to that'll be a resolution for 2020. Whatever. Stop shaming Stacey no, about you're her not. American Girl doll collection. You're never going to stop. I will never stop. <laughs> and you shouldn't. Did you have a bedroom set? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How many bedroom sets did you have? That was in her second room, her second bedroom. Shut just up. For <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't have two bedrooms. She's lying. But I okay. did have a bedroom set and the tea party set. I had the hairbrush set. I had jack shit. <laughs> I had the doll in, like, the stand. <laughs> that it came, it came with on. the stand. <laughs> I know. So that was my Kristen's bedroom. Lavish Man. imagination. Well, I spent a lot of time in my room. My face hurts from laughing so hard. <laughs> I did have a dollhouse that I was like obsessed with. Oh, I just loved make believe and playing by myself and like, like running little stories. I like went with Barbies till I was like too old. Like when I, I was I went in, with like, Barbies too, too, too old as well. When I was like sixth, seventh grade, like you're in middle school, your boobs are sprouting, and I would like babysit. So sprouting? What? <laughs> I'm mean, so late developer. <laughs> my boobs yeah, my like never either. went anywhere, but they were like. <laughs> Sprouting, and I was like trying to find younger kids I could babysit that still played with Barbies, oh, so I could yeah. like shamelessly play with Barbies. <laughs> oh, so true. And I, I like bought sets still. My sisters, I had sisters four. And oh, you lucky. Me, so it was that was easy. <sighs> so lucky. I, my friend Tatum and I. Hi Tatum, you've never listened to one of these, I bet. <laughs> Getting <laughs> called out now. Calling you out on the internet airwaves. Um, but we bought Barbies as adults. We bought a uh, Betty and. Or sorry, sorry, Lucy and Ethel, huh. pair of Barbie oh, dolls. So cool! Because we were like, adults don't play. We need to try to play, and they ended up being like hookers. cocaine addict hookers. <laughs> that were like, so to play with Barbies is like a college kid was hard. It was rough. Yeah, because you're like going through stuff. You're experimenting. Oh, there's a lot of like hard All sex moves where just you just like, like clap their bodies yeah. together just as like a joke. Fornicate. But anyway, but also Barbie, like slightly serious. Yeah. So yeah, I still have my Barbie and she never wears clothes and when we still lived together we would like do like Barbie in the split surprise like oh, yes. hidden places like you'd open up the medicine cabinet to brush your teeth and like one of the Barbies would be doing the naked splits with your toothbrush. <sighs> so cool. This has been a Talking to Crows production. 